Okay, we're in Romans 12 this morning. Obviously. The title of the sermon is Marks of a True Christian, which is what the title should have been last week. It should have been part one. This should be part two, but as usual, I screw up. So this week, Marks of a True Christian. Okay, last week we looked at verse 10 of Romans 12. Brotherly love and affection. Remember that? Brotherly love and affection toward one another was the topic along with what it means to outdo one another in showing honor. This morning we begin with verse 11 onward. We'll get to the first part of verse 12. Okay, verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Now, some of you will have Bibles with a notation in the margin that says that this verse could be translated as fervent in the spirit with a capital S for spirit. Fervent in the Holy Spirit, in other words. Okay? I don't want to get into a theological dissertation here about whether or not Paul means that we're to be fervent in the Holy Spirit or fervent in our own human spirit. Um, it's, it's just not worth getting into because the general consensus, and I'm talking 99% of the theologians surveyed along with their dentists that were surveyed, they believe it's human spirit, okay? Human spirit, small s, not the Holy Spirit. The original language and the, the context strongly suggest that, and we'll leave it at that, okay? Actually, I, I can only find one English version that translated it with a capital S, and that was the Revised Standard Version. I could, there could be others out there. I just Maybe I did, didn't check them. So... What can we derive from Paul's brain here with verse 11? Do not be slothful in zeal and be fervent in the spirit. Slothful means that one is apathetic or lazy. Zeal is defined as or could be defined as great energy or enthusiasm. In pursuit of a cause or an objective. So in other words, don't be, Paul's saying, don't be apathetic and or lazy in what should be a given. Okay? What's the given? It's serving the Lord. That's what he says here. Don't be slothful, lazy, in serving the Lord. If you look at the verse again, you'll see that Paul also contrasts the word slothful with the word fervent or fervor. Okay? Fervent means deep-seated, heartfelt, intense passion about something. It's a, it's a small word, but with a very powerful punch. So to break down verse 11... At its core, okay, 
It means we are not to be apathetic or lazy in and or toward, toward this Christian mission that has been entrusted to us, which is what Paul calls serving the Lord. Okay? Instead, we are to be zealous. We are to pursue our Christian mission, the Lord's work, serving the Lord with an ardent, heartfelt, passionate enthusiasm. You with me so far? Okay. Think back to when you were first saved, when you were a brand new, born-again Christian, and you remember how zealous and passionate you were. You wanted to tell everyone you knew about Jesus and what he was doing in your life. You were com- complete, the complete opposite of slothful and apathetic. And, and we, sh- we should be, we actually need to be, trying to maintain that level of excitement and joy about our Christian faith. It takes a little meditation to think about it. How are those around us going to be attracted to our Christianity if we are always moping around like we just lost our best friend and our dog just died? But that's what some of us do. We miserably mope and mumble and moan and murmur and we slothfully scurry and stamper and scuttle about on our way to joy in Jesus. Joy in Jesus. We have the good news, right? We have the good news. But many times we live like we've got bad news all the time. And because some of us at times, and apparently some of the Christians at Rome, have tendencies towards slothfulness in serving the Lord, Paul reminds us to strive for the right mindset so that we can serve the Lord and do his work joyfully and honorably and passionately with purpose. Purpose. So how do we do that? How do we keep ourselves in a place where we are fervent in spirit and where we are zealous to serve the Lord? Folks, it's not hard. There isn't some big hidden secret here. Actually, we just went over it two or three sermons ago. You have to be in God's word. You have to be in fellowship. And you have to be in prayer. And you set time aside each day. I'll rephrase that. You set time aside each morning to begin your day in prayer. You maintain this level of fervor and purpose in serving the Lord throughout the day because you began that way, prayer and the word. And if you don't do those very simple things, I can guarantee you God won't even be on your radar. You must, you absolutely must be in the scriptures and you must be in prayer and you must be 
in fellowship with like-minded Christians. If you are not, you will not have the attitude that Paul wants us to have in verse 11 and verse 12 of Romans 12. Everything in the Christian life, and I mean everything, goes back to those three things. I want to say just one more thing about this before we move on. If you want to avoid being slothful in zeal, and if you want to be fervent in your spirit in regard to serving the Lord, then your Bible study and your prayer life must be your highest priority. I know I just said the same thing five different ways, but I did that on purpose because I want you to see how incredibly important it is. You must renew your mind and commune with your God before you start your day. If you don't, the world, the flesh, and the devil will indeed succeed in robbing you of your zeal and your fervor for the work of the Lord on that particular day that you skip your time with God before you start your day. These are the marks, folks, of a true Christian. This is what true Christians do. The Lord, I don't pretend to be a mouthpiece for God, but I could tell you, based upon what I've seen in Scripture, be a mouthpiece that way. The Lord does not want to hear about how tired you are and how you need, you need that extra 20 minutes of sleep. You absolutely have to have it. When Jesus was praying at Gethsemane, and his soul was consumed with sorrow to the point of death, he came back to Peter and James and John, and he found them sleeping instead of doing what he told them to do, which was to watch and pray. And he said to Peter, can't you even keep watch and pray for one hour? That's Mark 14, 32 through 41. So if he was getting on them about not watching and praying for an hour, imagine what he thinks about 10 or 20 minutes. If you need that extra 20 minutes of sleep, this is complicated, folks. You might want to write it down. <laughs> then go to bed 20 minutes earlier. <laughs> Some of you know that I've got health issues that deprive me um, often of sleep. I can't tell you the last time that I slept more than three, three and a half hours a night. I can assure you one thing, based upon my 17 years of, of dealing with this, the human body is an amazing thing. It adapts. And it overcomes. Okay? I promise you that if you get up 20 minutes earlier 
It won't be long before you're okay and your body's okay with getting up 20 minutes earlier each day. The body adapts. Okay. Let's move on. Verse 12. We're just going to look at the rejoice in hope part of the verse. Okay? Our first question here should be, what are we rejoicing in hope for, Paul? Remember, who, what, when, where, why, and how? What are we hoping in? What do you want us to hope in, Paul? Well, we should be rejoicing in hope for what awaits us as Christians, which is either Christ's return and the realization of our redemption or our death and the realization of our redemption. One more time. We should hope in what awaits us as Christians, which is either Christ's return and the realization of our redemption or our death and the realization of our redemption. In other words, we are to be joyful because of the reality of our salvation. If that's all you have in life, it should be enough, your salvation. Bottom line, we rejoice and we hope in the fact that we who are in Christ have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1, verse 7. We are to be rejoicing in hope because of our access. Our access to God the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ, by way of his Holy Spirit. Right? Those of you... I almost thank God every day that I don't have to do it anymore. Those of you who ride the trolley or the bus to work, you pay a certain amount of money to get what they call, they call it a connect card now that allows you access. Access to ride for a certain period of time. Jesus purchased your connect card with his shed blood on Calvary's cross so that you can have unlimited access to the Father for all eternity. And you don't have to purchase a pass to the Father each month like you do with the trolley or the bus. Jesus provided a one-time purchase whereby you get access to the Father by the forgiveness of your sins because Jesus became sin for you on the cross. That is the hope that you're to rejoice in. Paul says in our text that this hope gives you a front row window seat with a view to the realization of your redemption that draweth nigh. King James Version. 
and because of this blood-bought access that is yours. The writer of Hebrews says that you can, quote, come boldly with confidence to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. That's Hebrews 4.16. My prayer is that these scripture passages show you what Paul means plainly in our text when he says we are to rejoice in hope. I want to show you one more thing that I am absolutely certain Pastor Steve will elaborate on when he teaches through Hebrews on Wednesday nights. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 10. I don't have these scriptures in the bulletin because I changed my mind at the last minute and redid this section of the sermon. Hebrews chapter 10. Beginning in verse 12. Now this is a lengthy passage, but it beautifully, as you will see in a moment, captures what I want to convey to you as we close this sermon down. Verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. Now stop there for a minute. I hope you know me well enough by now to know that when I repeat things over and over again in several sermons or in a sermon series, I'm typically doing it for a reason. Many of the times it's just because I want you to learn it because repetition is the mother of all learning. But some of the time, it's because I know that there are people who are listening on Zoom or listening through sermon audio who really need to hear this thing repeated again. And sometimes it's with a prayer uh, to the end being salvation. And so... I'm going to say something I said a few weeks ago. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, there in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, I want to make it clear that in the Catholic Church, a Catholic priest, while saying Mass, and you can look this up in the Catholic Catechism, believes with the consecration prayer, or the prayer of consecration in the Mass, believes that they are re-sacrificing Christ on the altar in the Mass. That's why they call it an altar, because an altar implies sacrifice, right? We don't have an altar because 
we don't sacrifice anything other than ourselves for the Lord. And so Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says, is the sacrifice offered for all time, i.e. it never needs to be done again on an altar in a mass by a priest. A single sacrifice for sins, meaning there is no other sacrifice but Jesus. There's no other way to heaven but by Jesus' sacrifice. He sat down at the right hand of God. That means it's finished. He wouldn't have sat down if it wasn't finished. Verse 13, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, for by a single offering, he offered himself, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Who did he die for? Those that are being sanctified. I'll drop down to verse 17, if you would. Then the writer adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence, a good synonym for confidence here is hope. Okay, we're talking about rejoicing in the hope that we have. Remember Romans 12, 12. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. You got the veil in the temple, right? Which separated God in the Holy of Holies from the priest who was on the outside, okay? It was 60 foot high, most believe. And it was ripped in two, right down the middle, when Jesus died on the cross and that gave us access to the Holy of Holies. It gave us access to where the Father is, where God is. And since, verse 21, since we have a great priest, that's Jesus, not a Catholic priest re-sacrificing Christ on an altar, but we have a great priest priest, high priest, who is Christ, who rules over, he's a priest over, a mediator for the house of God. Verse 22, let us draw near with, with a true heart in full assurance of faith. There's that hope again. Full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed 
with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He promised that our salvation would come to fruition fully and completely when he returns and he is faithful and he will return. Verse 24. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. There's that fervently serving the Lord thing. Okay? There's the fellowship with other Christians thing. Remember I said, get in the word, get in prayer, be in fellowship with other Christians. You got to stir one another up. You can't stir each other up if you're not together with each other. You got to stir one another up to be excited about serving the Lord. Why do we want to serve the Lord? Well, because he sacrificed his life. He spilled his blood for us. And he, he says here, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day, capital D, second coming, as you see the day drawing near, that is the fruition and realization of your redemption. So Christian, at Abiding Grace Church, rejoice in your hope. Rejoice in your hope that is in Christ and serve the Lord with fervor. One single, one single necessary offering for your sins, past, present, and future has been made. We just read that God doesn't even remember our sins anymore, anthropomorphically. They don't matter to God anymore because as far as he is concerned, you are redeemed, past tense, present tense, and future tense. You've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. You've entered into the Holy of Holies. You can come boldly before the throne when you need to. Not only to praise, but to petition. Your sins are forgiven. As a result, we get to draw near to God every morning or noon and afternoon and evening, we get to draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith with a clean conscience. So hold fast to your confession of hope without wavering because God is faithful. Lastly, where else do we see? I should say, where... Where else do we see this access to the Father demonstrated by Paul as our hope? One place is Romans 5. If you want to go there, please. 
Romans 5. Beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, past tense, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, present tense, future tense. Verse 2. Through him, that is through Christ, we have also obtained, there, there it is again, Mr. Consistency Paul Access. We've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we waver, worry, wobble. No, we stand firm. And we what? Rejoice in hope. He says it again. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So Paul's very consistent. And you've heard me say that a million times. He speaks of our hope in our text, 1211, and he speaks of our hope here in Romans 5, 1 through 3, as well as many, many other places. You have no hope and no peace with the Father, if your sins are still held against you. But through our Lord Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection, we have hope. We stand in it, Paul says, by grace through faith. By grace through faith. Now, please listen carefully. I, I personally don't believe that we can properly or fully rejoice in our hope, which is what Paul says we should do in our text. I don't believe we can even begin, folks, to fully understand or appreciate our hope unless we don't first understand how we came to that hope in the first place. Now you might be thinking, Mike, you just spent 30 minutes explaining our hope to us. What in the world can you possibly mean when you say how we came into our hope in the first place? What I mean is this, the grace and faith that Paul speaks of over and over and over again in Romans and in his other epistles cannot be fully understood or fully appreciated unless we first understand that we had absolutely nothing to do with it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, past and present tense. 
according, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So he chose you, he elected you before he created the world to love you, to save you, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So what he did, he predestined the fact that he was going to adopt us as his children, as heirs, by Jesus Christ himself, according to what? Our works, the family we're born into, our denomination. He did it according to the good pleasure of his will, Paul says. I'm sorry. This is Ephesians. Where am I at? Ephesians 1. Thank you. Helps when you don't write it down to have somebody that can. Okay, so Ephesians 1 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. So it's not only by the kind intention of his will that he has predestined us and saved us in Christ. But it's for his praise, the praise of the glory of his grace. His grace is glorious. And he is to be praised for that glorious grace. Wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. So he had this plan from before he created the world to bring forth this mystery. And what does Paul call the mystery? Anybody know? It's in the same book, but I don't know which chapter it is, Steve. Uh, Steve or Steve? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That, that, that um, no, I lost, I'm sorry. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. Um, what was the question I asked? What was the mystery? Oh, the mystery, according to Paul, is the gospel. The gospel message. And it says here, Paul says here, verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, think about that for a minute. If he, if he did this before time began, he purposed us. He purposed Christ. He did it all by the kind intention of his will for his glory. Okay? 
then in his amount of time, that is the time, the fullness of time, that he saw fit to bring it to fruition, he brought it to fruition. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one, one, all things in Christ. One body in Christ. Both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So the body of Christ transcends heaven and earth. There is no time in heaven and there's no time in eternity. So there has to be a transcendence, right? Verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. There's that inheritance again. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. Not our will. His will. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. That's you and me. In whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So the gospel's preached, the truth is preached. You are sealed in your salvation by the Holy Spirit. But he calls them the Holy Spirit of promise. I like that. Because we are sealed in Christ. Our salvation is sealed in heaven by that Holy Spirit, we are told. And this is all until, verse 14, Ephesians 1, that everybody who's going to be redeemed is redeemed. What does it say? Uh, It's um, Revelation 6. The martyrs under the altar in Revelation 6 are crying out to God. How long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? And he says a little while longer until the rest of the elect come in. So their redemption has not yet happened in this tense. It's happened in eternity, okay, before the foundation of the world. But it's about to happen. They're about to be murdered for the gospel, just like you guys. I mean, not you guys, Revelation 6. Okay? So, you with me? Okay. Somebody shake their head yes. Okay. So, my whole point is this. We had nothing to do with it. We had nothing to do with it. Even the faith that we have to believe in this redemption is a gift from God. 
Not only that, but he sustains our salvation, our redemption, our faith. He's the author and finisher of our faith. And he that began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it, right? So since no one can snatch us out of his hand, that's a tremendous hope, folks. It's a hope that we should rejoice in. This is Romans 12, 11, and 12. Okay? There's nothing about our reality in Christ. The reality of our redemption, the reality of our relationship with God, and the reality of our inheritance. There's nothing about it that should cause us to be slothful. Everything about it should cause us to be fervent in the Lord's work, and it should cause us to rejoice in hope, the hope of the culmination of our salvation in the Lord. Let's pray.